Our selected reading for this morning is going to be from Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, where we're going to come across some people who are God's chosen people, but they are dwelling in the midst of of shadow, deep, deep darkness. They are people in dark days. But through his servant Isaiah, through his prophet Isaiah, God gives these people an incredible, an incredible promise. So Isaiah chapter 7, we'll start reading at verse 1. Now, it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, they went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, so it was told to the king, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So, so his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. They were discouraged. They were shaken in their boots. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go up now to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria Ephraim and the son of Remaliah have plotted evil against you, saying, Let's go up against Judah and trouble it, and let's make a gap in its wall for ourselves and set a king over them, the son of Tabel. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, so this is God speaking through Isaiah. Then he said, hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Immanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. The Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house, days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will whistle for the fly that is in the farthest part of the rivers of Egypt and for the bee that is off in the land of Assyria. They will come and all of them will rest in the desolate valleys and in the clefts of the rocks and on all thorns and in all pastures. 
In the same day, the Lord will shave with a hired razor, with those from beyond the river, with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the legs, and will also remove the beard. And it shall be in that day that a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. So it shall be for the, uh, for, from the abundance of the milk they give that he will eat curds. For curds and honey everyone will eat who is left in the land. It shall happen in that day that wherever there could be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver, it will be briars and thorns. With arrows and bows men will come there because all the land will become briars and thorns. And to any hill which could be dug with the hoe, you will, not, you will not go there for fear of briars and thorns, but it will become a range for oxen and a place for sheep to roam. Now let's turn to our text. Our text for this morning is from the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. This is the word of God. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to, to, to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had first brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. So far our reading from God's word. May God add his blessing as his word is explained and proclaimed this morning. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this past Sunday we, we took a look at verses 1 through 17 of this chapter, and we saw that, that through generation after generation after generation of deeply, deeply flawed fathers, God kept His promise. And in the fullness of time, at the exact time that God had decided 
the Messiah, God's chosen Savior, he was brought into the world. So for 14 generations, from, from Abraham to David, God's people waited and God worked. For 14 generations, from David to the exile, God's people waited and God worked. And then for 14 generations, from the exile to the Christ, God's people waited and God worked. Until finally, something happened. And the end of all that waiting came into the world. But the end of all that waiting came in a way that nobody would have expected. The end of all that waiting came into the world, not as the son of some mighty king in a great big palace, not as the son of some wealthy merchant in a great big house, not, not, not even as the son of a governor, a, a man of power and influence. No, like we saw on Sunday, he was, he was born to an unknown he was born to a son and a grandson and a great-grandson of people that we know next to nothing about. But what was unexpected to them has, in the centuries following, has perhaps become the most well-known story in all of history. But even though the story has become incredibly well-known, a great, a great many of the details of the birth of Christ often go overlooked. And, and, and as details are overlooked, though the story is, is well known to many, the true meaning of the story, the true significance of the story, sometimes gets left off. And so to help us better understand the birth of Christ and to equip us to, 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 to praise this one who's coming we celebrate today, I'm going to be bringing God's word to you this morning under this theme. Behold the coming of Jesus, the long-awaited promised Messiah. We'll begin in the first point by seeing from verse 18 that the divine origins of God's Messiah. And then in verses 19 through 21, we'll see the royal adopted father of God's Messiah. And then in the final point, we'll see what verses 22 through 25 tell us about a Messiah with a wonderful name. Now, Matthew's gospel, more than any of the other gospels, Matthew's gospel is, is, is just chock full of references back to the Old Testament. And this, this first chapter is no exception. Verse, verse 1 of this chapter, the very first verse of our New Testament, it, it, it makes a direct reference right back to the very first book of the Old Testament. And then we have that reference again for us at the beginning of this morning's text in verse 18. Verse 1 of this chapter begins with these words, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now that phrase, the book of the genealogy, it actually occurs in only two other places in the Bible. In, in Genesis 2 and Genesis 5, where Moses, inspired by the same spirit that inspired Matthew, he writes about the book of the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And, and, and he writes about the book of the generations of Adam, uh, the Greek words being used here are, are, are literally biblos geneseos, the book of Genesis. The book of the Genesis of the heavens and the earth, the book of the Genesis of Adam, and here the book of the Genesis or the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And by using the same precise phrase, Matthew is signaling to us, his readers, he's signaling to us that something is happening here that was very similar to what happened back in the Old Testament, but at the same time, Something is happening here in our text that's going to shine more brightly than any of those other Old Testament comparisons. 
Matthew's making two things clear to us here. First, God is working out something new. He's working out a birth more miraculous than any of the other miraculous births in the Old Testament or New Testament. He's starting, he's beginning a new creation, as it were. But at the same time, he's making a clear link back to Israel's history. So he's doing something new, but he's doing something new that is founded in in, in history. But but even beyond those two, there's a clear link to the pattern that we see unfolding in Genesis. A, A pattern that points to God's special care for his people. Impossible births by the power of God. If you think back to the Old Testament, to the book of Genesis... Isaac. Isaac was given to two parents, Abraham and Sarah, who were beyond any reasonable hope of childbearing. They were were creeping up on a hundred. They were old, old people. And yet, God gave this son, Isaac, to them. And Jacob and Esau, they were given to Isaac and Rebekah also through the miraculous intervention of the Lord. And this birth, the birth that we see here, would also be a birth like those, a birth where God stepped into history and made the impossible a reality. But the birth that we see here in Matthew 1, it's something that goes way beyond any of those Old Testament types and shadows. Those were miraculous births. They were amazing births. And the conception and and, and birth of Jesus was miraculous. It was amazing. But this... This goes so far beyond any of those. In every one of those Old Testament examples, God had to step in with a miracle. But the mechanism for conception, if you will, the mechanism for conception remained the same. In all those examples in Genesis, you still have a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. You have a a seed being sown in, 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 in infertile ground, as it were, but both the seed and the ground are still present. But here, to carry on that, 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 that idea, you've got ground, you've got a womb, but you've got no seed. So this miraculous birth, it's, it's, it's similar in some ways to all those other miraculous births in the Old Testament, but it goes way beyond them, and it's actually, it's actually a reflection of something even more amazing. It's a reflection of God's creative acts in week one. The sorts of things we see in Genesis 1. There we have God speaking, and as he speaks, plants sprout up from seedless ground. And God speaks, and as he speaks, the seas swarm with fish where there were no fish before. In Genesis 1, we have God speaking, commanding the earth to bring forth living creatures of all kinds. And then we finally have God forming man from the dust of the ground and breathing into him the breath of life. In all those creative examples in in Genesis 1, you have have something being brought forth without the use of, of a seed. You have miraculous creative acts of God. And here in our text... As we begin our text in verse 18, you've got something very similar. You've got a son with no seed. You've got a child without the help of a human father. Rather, just as the the, the whole creation was brought forth through the Spirit, that's what Psalm 104 tells us, 
Just like the, the, the whole creation was brought forth through the Spirit, so here we have our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ being conceived and being given life by the work of the mighty Holy Spirit. And in this act, we have the divine origins of that one, that man, who was at the same time God and man. And this could not have happened. This could by no means have happened without the work, without the divine intervention of the Holy Spirit. John John 1 verse 3 tells us that without Christ, nothing that exists was made. But here we have displayed before our very eyes in the text, we have displayed to us the greatest and the most wonderful mystery that there is. The creator of all things enters into and in some ways even becomes subject to his creation. Colossians 1 verse 16 tells us that by Christ all things were created in, in, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. And here Matthew tells us, he records for us, that this one by whom all things were created and for whom all things were created, he enters into And he becomes part of that very creation that was formed to serve and glorify him. And this is the amazing work that Matthew is drawing our attention to here this morning. There is a new act of creation happening here. The the creator, though, though being and remaining true and eternal God, he is entering into his creation. And he is taking on flesh. He is taking on himself the form of true humanity. He's becoming a true human. He's becoming an embryo, a a, a fetus. He's becoming helpless, reliant on his mother for everything. He, the God-man, he is floating, as all fetuses do, in the womb of his mother. And he's having eyes and and, and a heart and and, and a liver and kidneys formed for him. He's, He's being given a true human body in nature like ours in every way. It's it's the very same thing that Paul points out in Philippians 2 that, that we read. Though he was in the form of God, so though he was true God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. Luke records for us the message that the angel Gabriel gives to Mary, telling her how this was going to happen. But Matthew doesn't do us that favor. He just tells us what happened, that, that, that Mary is with child by the Holy Spirit. And then he reveals to us what the immediate result of this miraculous conception was. And, and he draws us not into the story of Mary so much, but into the story of Mary's betrothed, Mary's fiancé, a man named Joseph. And this brings us to our second point, where we see Jesus, not just a baby with divine origins, but a son from a specific line. A son coming to earth in fulfillment of divine decree and divine promise. We see Jesus, a Messiah, with a royal father. And so Mary, before they came together, before Joseph and Mary came together, she was found with child by the Holy Spirit. You can't hide a pregnancy for very long. Mary is found to be with child, and her husband Joseph, being a just 
man, he's got to figure out how he's going to respond to this very unexpected turn of events. Now, according to the law and according to the custom of that time, he's got two options. His first option, he could, he, he could drag her to court, and, and, and that would result in her, her public humiliation. Or his second option, he could, he, he could write up a certificate of divorce, and, and he could spare her all that humiliation of a, of a public trial, but, but at, at the same time, he could still uphold the high standard of the law. And so, unwilling to put her to shame, he resolves to divorce her quietly. Joseph opts for mercy while still sticking to his sense of justice. He picks the quieter of the two options for Mary. And he shows himself to be a man who, like David, his great ancestor, a man who had a heart like God's. He demonstrates the character of the God whom he serves. He insists on both justice and mercy. So he resolves in his heart, he makes up his mind to divorce her quietly. But as he was considering these things, as he was turning them over in his mind, as he was meditating on the law of God and meditating on the love that he owed Mary, God provides the answer that he needs. He sends an angel. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So Joseph, he he falls asleep with these weighty matters on his mind. And God sends one of his messengers to him in a dream. Just like the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, so another angel appears to Joseph. And he brings him a message from God. He reveals to him a command, an explanation, and a prophecy. But before we look at that command and explanation and prophecy, take a look at how the angel addresses Joseph. He doesn't just say, hey, Joseph, or or, hey, Joseph, Mary's husband. He says, Joseph, son of of David. Now, if you're familiar, again, if you're familiar with your New Testaments, you'll know that that phrase, son of David, it's actually quite common. It occurs 14 times in our New Testaments, and 13 times it refers to Christ. But once, here, it refers to Joseph. And this is actually a great more a a great deal more important than it might at first seem. See, as both Matthew and Luke make clear in their genealogies, as we saw this past Sunday, it was Joseph and not Mary that was a descendant of David. And so if if Jesus was going to be, what was truly going to be the, 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 the promised son of David, Joseph needed to take Jesus as his adopted son. Only if, if, if Joseph adopted the Christ would he pass on those rights of legal sonship and the title of son of David to him. And, and this, beloved, this is critically important. As, as the author Russell Moore put, uh, has put it, if Jesus is not really the father, uh, sorry, if Joseph is not really the father of Jesus, you and I are going to hell. I'll read that again. If, if Joseph is not really the father of Jesus, both you and I are going to hell. Jesus' identity as the Christ, as the Messiah, is tied to his identity as the son of David, the legitimate heir to David's throne. And if, if, if he is not the son of David, he is not the Messiah. 
If he is not the son of David, then God's promises have not been fulfilled. And if God's promises have not been fulfilled, then we are going to hell. And so the message that the angel gives to Joseph is of critical importance. The universe hangs in the balance. There is no savior son of David if Joseph does not do as the angel commands him. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, the angel commands him. Joseph, your, your fears are unfounded. Mary has not been unfaithful. She has not committed adultery. But there is more going on than you could possibly imagine. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then having given Joseph that command to take Mary as his wife, having explained to him that the son in her womb is the product of the Holy Spirit's work, the angel gives Joseph a prophecy. The angel reveals to Joseph what's going to happen in the life of this miracle child. She will bear a son, the angel tells him, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now look, look carefully at what the angel is saying here. Step one, he says, she will bear a son. Step two, you shall call his name Jesus. The angel is making it absolutely clear that this child was going to be Joseph's son. And even though Joseph was not involved in the conception, he was going to take on the responsibility of father. He was given the responsibility, the, 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 the task of naming the child, of being a true father to him, of, of, of expecting the submission that every father expects from their children. And by naming him, and by making him his firstborn son, by making him his heir... Joseph is legally placing him in the position of son of David. So Joseph is being used by God to bring about a fulfillment of God's promises to David so long ago in 2 Samuel 7, where, where God said to David, I'm going to raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and, and I, I will establish his kingdom. Your throne will be established forever. But of course, there, there, there's a special significance to this name that the angel tells Joseph to give to Mary's son. He is to call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God promised his people in the Old Testament, for example, in Psalm 130, that he would redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. And here the angel is telling Joseph that all those promises are going to be fulfilled in this boy. He will be given this name. It, it, it was a common name back then, but it's a name that, that, that is full of deep, rich importance. Joseph and Mary were, were supposed to call this son Jesus, like uh, as our catechism says, because he saves us from all of our sins. And because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. So through this son, conceived by the Holy Spirit, to be born of the Virgin Mary, to be adopted by Joseph as great David's greater son, the people of God, his, his chosen people from all the corners of the earth, they would be brought to salvation. But there's more than just that. If I can say just that there. 
There's more than just that. Jesus did not just come to give us salvation, to save us from our sins. He also came to bring us back to God, to reconcile us to God, to bring us to God, and to bring God to us, to be God with us. And so we come to our third point where we see Jesus, a Messiah, with a wonderful name. So Matthew writing this gospel, he, he pulls us back from this unfolding narrative. He leaves Joseph sleeping in his bed so that we can gain an even deeper perspective of how important this Jesus is. Not only was this son of Mary to be David's son and the savior of his people, but, but as promised to another one of David's descendants, another one of Jesus' great-great-grandfathers, he was going to be Emmanuel the God who is with us. Now, if you look at your Bibles, we covered this last week, but if you look at your Bibles to verse 9 of this chapter, you'll see a little name that kind of sneaks in there between Jotham and Hezekiah. I think in last, last week's sermon, I, got, I, I gave him about one paragraph. And it's not a king that we think about very often, but this king, about six centuries before Christ was born, he was faced with a major crisis. There was a rising power in the Middle East, the nation of Assyria. A big nation, a strong nation with strong armies and horrible, horrible kings. And Israel and Syria, two smaller kingdoms to Judah's north, they ally together to meet this threat. They think, well, if we can get enough nations together, we can take care of Assyria. So they invite Ahaz and, and the nation of Judah to join them, but Ahaz, he is terrified. Right, uh, the, the, the passage in Isaiah that, that, that we read said that Ahaz and the people of Judah were, were shaking like trees shaken by the wind. They were terrified. And so he doesn't want to even consider it. And so those two nations, they decide to go down and invade Judah and force that nation to go along with their plan. And Ahaz, he's now more scared than ever, and, and he decides not to go to the Lord his God for help, but he decides to go to enlist the help of the king of Assyria. And in the middle of all this international struggle and turmoil, this prophecy, one of the most well-known prophecies in the Bible, is given to God's people. It was a message of God-given hope to a people whose hope had been lost. Judah was just this tiny little country on the international stage. And the, the, their king was a weakling, their king was a coward, but God was still faithful. And so God sends his prophet Isaiah to, to Ahaz to strengthen his faith. And Isaiah tells the king to ask for a sign, anything from, 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 from as high as heaven to as low as hell, anything at all. But the king, in rather pious-sounding platitudes. He, he refuses to obey God. He refuses to ask for a sign. He says, no, I don't want to bother God. I don't want to trouble God. I'm not going to ask for a sign. And so Isaiah turns to the king of Judah and says to him, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You don't want to ask for a sign? And that's a problem, but the Lord is still going to give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
Isaiah is telling Ahaz that God will be with his people whether Ahaz will call on him in faith or not. But it gets a lot bigger than that. This prophecy that Isaiah, that, that Isaiah gives is going to be bigger than Ahaz could, could ever have imagined. The ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy, Jesus the Christ, is not just a sign of God's presence with his people. He actually is God with his people. He's God taking on the flesh and the blood of his people. He's God being born of a virgin from among his people. He is God as man being adopted into a royal family, into the very house of David that refused him in the days of Ahaz. And this one, this Emmanuel, he's the one who comes to Mary. He's the one who was born of the virgin wife of this man, Joseph. And this Emmanuel, he is taken as a son and he is raised as a son by Joseph as Joseph obeys God's command, as Joseph takes Mary as his wife, as Joseph gives Jesus his name. Beloved, see God's plans coming together. See the wonderful providence of God at work here. This son of David, this carpenter Joseph, this just man of royal lineage, he has been prepared by God. He has had his lineage prepared and defended through faithful and unfaithful generations, and he himself has been, has been prepared by God, has been shaped by God to be the adoptive father to God incarnate. He's been prepared and he's been set apart to raise Jesus, to instruct Jesus, to lead Jesus, to protect Jesus. And at the same time, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, see the second person of the Trinity, infinite God himself, for us and for our salvation, as the Nicene Creed puts it, for us and for our salvation, coming down from heaven and becoming incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and being made man. He subjected himself to incarnation, to being born, to being raised by sinners, to being instructed by parents that he himself had created, coming under their authority and requiring their protection as he matures from baby to boy to man. Beloved in Christ, behold, your God has come. The creator, the second person of the Trinity, he has entered into and he has even submitted himself to his creation, taking on the form of a servant, the son of God himself, the king of the universe, the one who never ceased to uphold the universe by the word of his power. He is taken in as the adopted son of a laborer of nearly forgotten royal lineage. Yahweh God, the Savior of His people, He becomes one of those people because He knows that there is no other way to save those He loves. Emmanuel, beloved God, with us. God made flesh. God with us always, as He promised. 
God with us always to the very end of the age through persecution, through famine, through hardship, through pandemic, through, through everything that this world can throw at us. Emmanuel, our God is with us. Amen.